0: Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. We uh, are, are picking up back into our series that we've been calling Gods and Kings. And we're focusing on the lives of two prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And the story that we're going to look at today, Church, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, you're not going to like this story. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Um, in fact, it's probably going to tick you off. So. Be ready for that today. And uh, this story uh, happened 3,000 years ago, and uh, it's just as relevant as if it happened yesterday. Because what we're going to read about happens every single day. And uh, you'll 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 kind of find out what we're talking about here in just a minute. But we're really, this is a story about about injustice, and it's the story about the justice of God. And what what we see in this story is that. Uh, it reminds us what it is like to suffer injustice. And it also reminds us what it costs to do justice. And then it reminds us of how much we long for the justice of God in a very unjust world. And so we're going to read a sizable portion of Scripture. We're going to read the entire chapter. So this is a little bit long. So if I understand if you can't stand for this, but if you are willing and able, let's stand together as we read the word of God this morning. So 1 Kings 21 verse one, now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, and I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent letters to the elders and leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And, and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And when the men of, this, of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, and as it is written in the letters that she had sent, "'To them they proclaimed a fast "'and set Naboth at the head of the people. "'And the two worthless men came in "'and sat opposite, uh, opposite him. "'And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth "'in the presence of the people, saying, "'Naboth, curse God and the king.' "'So they took him outside the city "'and they stoned him to death with stones. "'Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, "'Naboth has been stoned, he is dead.' And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, Shall dogs lick your own blood? And Ahab said to Elijah, have you, found, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you and I will utterly burn you up and cut you off and cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah. For for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country the birds of the heavens shall eat. Verse 25. And there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days will I bring disaster upon his house. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You may be seated. So are you ticked off yet? That story will do it, all right? What we have in this story really are four main characters. And uh, the first character really is Ahab. He's the king of Israel. And uh, there was a pastor, R.G. Lee, who preached a famous sermon on this passage. And R.G. Lee says about Ahab that Ahab was a vile human toad who squatted on the throne of Israel, And I think that's a really great description of who Ahab was. He was really the worst king in the history of Israel. And so God sent one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel uh, to go and confront him. And uh, that's what really this story is all about. So you have Ahab. The second character that we have here is Naboth. And Naboth is a faithful Israelite. And uh, he's faithful to God. And he shows us what it's like to suffer for righteousness' sake. And then we have Jezebel, who's the wife of Ahab, who apparently wears the pants in the family, if you will. And uh, she's really the mistress of Satan here. And uh, she is really bad news. And then the fourth character in this story is God. God, who shows us his justice, but in the midst of his justice, shows us his mercy. And uh, he does this through the prophet Elijah who represents God and really communicates his word. Now, here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna, I wanna just paint for you four portraits uh, of character in, the, in these four different characters. So we're just, gonna, we're just gonna paint a word picture for us today of character in these four different characters. And I think once we understand the characters, we're gonna understand this story uh, more completely. And the first character is this, really Ahab's selfishness. This is, I think, the first portrait that we see right off the bat is Ahab's selfishness. Let me show this to you in verses one and two. And so the writer of Kings tells us, now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King, King Ahab of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, "Give me your vineyard, and I, I, that I may have it for a, my own vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I'll give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money." So, so really, what you have here is a picture of a king who has everything, and yet he's discontent with what he has. So, so he's got everything. He is he is prosperous. He is. He is wealthy, he's got property, he's got possessions, and he's still not satisfied with all that he has. And it's just a reminder to us that even after you have everything the world tells you that you need to have in order to be happy, that those things still don't satisfy. You always need a little bit more. I think the picture of Ahab's character is this. I think if he were alive today, he would be binge-watching HGTV because he loved his palaces and he loved his gardens and vineyards. And uh, at this time in Israel's history, after a long season of drought, it has already started raining again. And so his vineyards and gardens are growing. And so he wants to expand his land holding. So he goes to this Israelite, Naboth, who happens to have a vineyard right next to the palace. And he makes him an offer on that, on that vineyard and Naboth, which we'll get into reasons why he did this in just a minute, tells the king of Israel, no, I'm not gonna sell it to you. And so what the scripture is doing here is giving us this, this portrait of the selfishness of Ahab and specifically his sin of covetousness. He is coveting his neighbor's land. And coveting really is a discontented desire. It is a lust for more. And so here's a king who has everything and yet he has nothing at all, at least in his mind. And so he's absolutely consumed with taking and having this vineyard and taking it from Naboth. Now this reminds me of James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where the writer of James says this, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin and when sin is fully fully grown it brings forth death and so what James is telling us is really the the process of how sin manifests itself sin is sourced in our sinful desires desires that are unchecked and uncrucified and James reminds us that it always takes us to a place we don't want to go When we leave our sinful desires unchecked and uncrucified, it leads to devastating consequences for us and the people around us. That's this story, clearly. It reminds me of the story of King David who went out on his patio of his palace in the city of Jerusalem and saw Bathsheba bathing and he lusted after her and he pursued her and he had an affair with her. And it led to devastating consequences for David and for, for his family for, for generations. And, uh, and you see that. And so that's exactly, that's exactly the picture of Ahab that we get here is Ahab lusting after this land. He's, he's just very simply greedy. And uh, I, I think it shows you, it reminds us of what Jesus says in the gospels in Luke 12, where Jesus says, watch out for greed. It's the only time Jesus ever said to watch out for a sin, to watch out for greed, because Jesus knows that it's going to take us farther than we want to go. Now, there's another part of Ahab's selfishness that we see in verse 4, and this this is really interesting. And this is, again, it shows you the realism of what's happening in these stories that the, the, the writers are, are putting together for us, you really begin to see the uh, selfishness and the, just the immaturity of Ahab. Let me show it to you in verse 4. So he goes to, he goes to Naboth, Naboth turns him down, and then Ahab walks back to the palace, and, and it says this, he went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. Where he said, I'm not going to give you my inheritance, the inheritance of my fathers. And then he said, and then the writer tells us this he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. Now, what's happening here is, is really this. When the, the writer of Kings is telling us that he's vexed and sullen. What in the world does that mean? Vexed and sullen? What it means is this that, that Ahab church is just a spoiled brat. That's what it means. He is literally pouting. He is the king of Israel. He doesn't get what he wants. So he goes back to the palace crying and upset and he gets into bed and he's not going to eat his peas and carrots that night because he doesn't get what he wants. He's, he is, he's upset that he doesn't get his way. He's a spoiled brat. Now, now just keep in mind, church, he's the king of Israel. He's He's got an entire staff of comedians, dancers, musicians, massage therapists. I mean, he has everything at his disposal and nothing can cheer him up. And this is not even the first time that the scripture tells us that he was vexed and sullen because the writer of Kings tells us in chapter 20, the previous chapter, the very same description of Ahab. Over a whole nother issue. So, what you have is you have a pattern of pouting in his life. And uh, it shows you the condition of his heart. It shows you that he is radically self centered. And the reason why is because Ahab is an idolater. Ahab has rejected the worship of the true God and he's worshiping the Baal gods. And the thing about idolatry, what it does for us, is that anytime we put something or someone in between us and our relationship with God, or we put something or someone as first in our, in our life and God as second, what it does is it really puts us first. It's really us saying, I'm first, I'm in charge and I'm calling the shots. And so what happens as a result of that choice is we become a slave to our feelings, we become a slave to our moods, and we become a slave to our sinful desires. And that's exactly what we see going on in Ahab. He is dead in his sin, he's dead in his relationship with God, and he's dead to his relationships with other people. He's totally so self-absorbed that he is a slave to his passions and desires, and it's all because of his idolatry. And so, so you see this picture of him pouting, this is his, his selfishness because he's not content with the providences of God in his life. He is the moody monarch, there's no question about that. So that's Ahab's selfishness. Let me show you another portrait to kind of help us dig into this story a little bit more. This is Naboth's righteousness. Now in this story, Granted, we don't know a whole lot about Naboth. He says very few words. The only words that he says are recorded in verse 3. But I want you to notice how he responds to Ahab's request. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, this is very interesting because because really what you see is you begin to see Naboth's motivation here you really begin to see that Naboth is theologically motivated. He's not financially motivated, which is very rare. What you see is that Naboth has a passion for God, not a passion for more stuff. You see, Naboth is pursuing a closer relationship with God. He's not pursuing more money. He's not pursuing a political favor and he's not pursuing a political position which is really rare today. The truth is, is Naboth is pursuing God. That's where his attention is. That's where his affection is. Now, Ahab was in a wheeling dealing mood. Naboth had the leverage with him because Ahab really wanted that vineyard. Naboth could have bargained for anything he wanted and probably gotten it. Now, the reason why Naboth really doesn't sell him the land is because it was against the law of Moses you see there was you know the story about how God called Abraham to this land and then God raised up Joshua to to really conquer the land for the people of God for the people of Israel and then the land was was divided up into allocations of land to the 12 different tribes of Israel and so laws were established in the land to keep Each allocation of land within each family. And you could only sell the land in emergency situations, which this is not an emergency situation. So it was really against the law of God for Naboth to sell it because Naboth understood it wasn't his land to sell. It belonged to God. And so Naboth says, the Lord forbid that I should sell the inheritance of my fathers. In other words, Basically, what Naboth is saying, I'm not going to compromise what I know is right just for you. Now, this is, this is really interesting because we need to remember the spiritual condition of Israel at this time. Most people in Israel had fallen away in their relationship with God. Most of the people in Israel have been worshiping idols. And they abandoned their relationship with God. And so the selling of land would have been slam dunk. Sure, go ahead and do it. Everybody else is compromising. Why don't I go ahead and do it as well? But that's not Naboth. Here you have a, a, a godly man living a godly life amidst rampant ungodliness. He's living counter to the culture around him. He's a man living by principle and not profit. And he's not gonna sell his soul for wealth, land, or security. You see, Naboth knew the word of God and he was committed to the word of God. You see, I love, the, I love Micah 2, 1 and 2, which really speaks to this. Let me, let me show it to you. Uh, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. And they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. See, what you have here is a picture of Naboth pursuing righteousness. And uh, Naboth shows us that what you believe about God in the scripture ultimately drives what you do. That's the ball game right there. Now, church, let's just apply this for a minute. Let me just kind of camp on this, you know, for just a moment. Because really what you have here is you have the government of Israel coercing Naboth to compromise his convictions. Because Ahab is the king. I mean, there's no better representative of the, of the Israelite government than, than the king. And so the king is coercing Naboth to compromise his convictions. And so what happens when the government tries to coerce us in our biblical convictions? What do we do? We have to take a stand just like Naboth does. And so when the government sanctions racism in laws and policies like it's, like it's done in our history against blacks and, and Asians, and like it is doing now against whites, we have to take a stand. We have to humbly say racism is wrong, it always has been, and it always will be. And then when the government sanctions and promotes transgenderism targeting children and adolescents, undermining the authority of the parents, circumventing the authority of the parents, like they're doing right now. We have to say humbly and truthfully, transgenderism is wrong. It always has been and it always will be. And while we love all people, people especially who struggle with gender confusion we know the word of God, that God created them male and female. And that, that gender identity is not cultural, it's rooted in the very creation of God. We have to take a stand for that. You know, when the government sanctions and promotes homosexuality, we have to take a stand And while we love all people, people that struggle with same-sex attraction, we have to say humbly, homosexuality is wrong. It always has been, and it always will be. The government's going to seek to coerce us to compromise. It will come to us. And you have to decide, am I gonna live by conviction or am I gonna live by the currents, the ever-changing currents of culture? You have to make a decision on that. One more thought on this. Jesus says very clearly that we will suffer and be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. As Americans in over 200 years in our nation's history, we've never had to deal with it. We are probably going to have to start dealing with it But I just wanna tell you that Jesus says, blessed are you who suffer for me. Blessed are you who suffer for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's where Naboth is. And it just might be where we're gonna be fairly soon. So that's his righteousness, that's Ahab's selfishness. And then thirdly, we've got Jezebel's insidiousness. All right, she is type A, she's a driver. Uh, clearly she's in charge and Ahab the king answers to her. So, so let me show you this in verse five, because this is, this is an interesting, interesting reaction that she has to her husband. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else. If it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And then Jezebel's wife said to him, do you, not, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now, I, I, lo- I love this because she's just, she's dumbfounded at, at Ahab's reaction here. Why are you down? Aren't you the king for crying out loud? If you want his vineyard, just take it. And it's interesting because we know where Jezebel comes from. Jezebel is the daughter of the king of Tyra. So she grew up in the king's palace and she saw this model to her day in and day out that whatever the king wants, he just takes it. And now she's the queen. So she follows suit. She's been well-trained. So she confronts the moody monarch and says, you know what, let me take care of it for you. Just watch what I do. And, uh, and she devises this whole scheme. What she does is absolutely awful. It's dark, it's evil. She, she writes letters. She forges the king's signature. She develops a scheme to have Naboth accused falsely and then she has him killed. And then she takes she takes the land that belongs to Naboth. Now, this is injustice. That's what this is. It's injustice. And really, injustice is abuse of power. That's what injustice is. So instead of using their power to be a blessing to the people that God has given them charge over, they use their power to destroy their own people and take whatever it is that they want, in this case, a vineyard. It reminds me of the famous Lord Acton quote where he said this, that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see the corrupt condition of Jezebel's heart here. She, she along with Ahab, conspire a huge injustice uh, against, against their people. Now, let me just say this, church, if God ever blesses you, with power and influence. You must remember where it comes from. You must remember that it's a gift from God. You you, you must remember that the purpose of power and influence is for you to use it to bless others, not for your own selfish gain, not to establish your comfort or your position. You see, power and influence are to be used to be a blessing to others especially those who have no power and influence. And you see this in Proverbs 31, verses eight and nine, where the writer of Proverbs says this, open your mouth for the mute. In other words, be a voice for the voiceless, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. See, there's a right way to judge, is what he's saying. And you need to judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. That's our command as Christ followers. So my appeal to you is if God ever blesses you with influence, use it for the glory of God and for the encouragement of others. Now, I, I think what is really sad about this story in particular is there's really no one crying out on Naboth's behalf. Like no one. I mean, this was a scheme that they cooked up. There were several people involved in this scheme. And where are the godly men in this society? There's no voice for the voiceless. Everybody's pretty pleased with how the plan was executed and everybody's going home. And so I think what this story does is gives us a very dark picture of of the culture of men in that day, and maybe revealing something about men in our day today. I think what it's revealing to us that many men then and a lot of men now are just abusers and cowards. You know, Eric Metaxas, he's an author and in one of his books, he, he really raises this question, where are the John Waynes today? You know who John Wayne was? Like half the room doesn't know who John Wayne was. That's, I'm just getting way too old. Um, but he played in a lot of Westerns 40, 50 years ago. And so, and so Eric Metaxas asking, where are the John Waynes today? And why is it that people still love John Wayne? And the answer to that is because John Wayne was a strong man who defended the weak. That's what he did. You know, many years ago there was a television show called The Rifleman, so I'm just dating myself again. So uh, the show was really geared towards young boys and uh, really the purpose of the show was to teach young boys how to be strong and how to defend the weak and the needy. And you know what's sad about it? The show would never go today, it wouldn't go today Because our culture has become so feminized. And I think what's happening is because of excessive video gaming and because of pornography and because of the feminization of men, we are not creating a culture of godly men in our country. There's a shortage. There is a crisis of manhood in our culture today. And so guys are, generally speaking, either known for abusing the weak or not defending the weak at all and i think governor cuomo is exhibit a even for that you see injustice rules the day when men are abusive and men are passive that's when injustice rules and so what we need is a revival of honorable men godly men who will keep their hands off women and who will look out to the least of these can i get an amen to that and so we want to be a church. You know, the vision that God has given us as a church, we want to be a church where, where godly men are being raised up, right? Where husbands and fathers and men love God and love their families and are willing to lay down their lives for the kingdom of God. That's, what, that's the vision that we have. And I just wanna encourage you men, we're gonna be launching this fall a men's Bible study called Fight Club and How to Overcome Temptation. We're gonna be doing a a biblical study on that and uh, we're gonna be doing it in community with other men. And I wanna encourage you men to jump into this because it will be life-changing. Now, back to the story. So Naboth is dead. They have killed him. They have killed his sons. Because they didn't want any legal entanglements related to his sons and that vineyard, so they just took his sons out. And so that's how that's how bad this is. And it seems like at this point the story is over. It seems like you know uh, Ahab is eating a taco out on his patio, and then and then and Jezebel she's laughing all the way the bank, you know, talking about look what I pulled off, you know, um, you know, everybody's just excited. And uh, you know, I ask you again, are you mad? Are you ticked off at what's happening here? Because this is real life, is it not? This is it right here. But there's good news in this story and the good news is God's gonna have the last word. And let me show this to you. And that's the fourth portrait that I wanna show you is that of God's holiness. We see a great picture of God's holiness. And so what happens next is really my favorite part of the story where God raises up Elijah. He sends Elijah. He has to go back and confront uh, Ahab again. And, um, and this, is, this is what God tells Elijah to tell Ahab. You see it in verse 19. He says, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord. So the word of God is coming to you, Ahab. Thus says the Lord. Have you killed and also taken possession you see, God knows the answer to the question. But Ahab's not really thinking about the implications of what he's really done. He's blind to his own sin. So God asked him about it, already knowing the answer. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. And so this is, this is a prophecy. This is God's judgment coming down on Ahab for, for what he's done. And I think the principle that we see here is this, and this is where we find encouragement as Christians, is that God knows everything that's gone on here. He sees the entire scheme from beginning to end. He knows every single detail. He's aware of everything. And so God's holiness involves his awareness of everything that's going on. And when it seems like when we're aware of injustice... A lot of times, we think that God is unaware, and that's just not true. He knows our every thought, our every word, and our every deed, and we can't hide. And so what Elijah does is he delivers the word of judgment to Ahab, prophesying the dogs are going to lick up your own blood. Now, what about Jezebel? Well, God has a word for her in verse 23, and it says this, and of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of of Jezreel now when we're reading through the Old Testament like this we kind of lose track of time because we're reading this back to back to back to back and we're using kind of in a hurry which we really need to slow down when we're reading it but 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 what's going on here is this this doesn't happen overnight this prophecy takes years before it's fulfilled And so you're kind of wondering, is God really even going to bring judgment at all? Because what we know from scripture is several years have passed. In fact, I would say, I would bet money that Jezebel even mocked God and mocked Elijah because it seemed like she had gotten away with it. It seemed like she was untouchable. But church, understand this, both prophecies were fulfilled. They were just fulfilled in God's own time according to his plan. And so years later, Israel and Ahab were in a battle. And an unknown soldier just randomly shot a bow up into the air and it landed and struck Ahab right at the edge of his breastplate. And uh, it was a mortal wound. They got him in the chariot. They got him back to Samaria. He bled to death and died. And this is what 1 Kings 22 tells us uh, for the fulfillment of this prophecy. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria And the dogs licked up his blood according to the word of the Lord that had been spoken. Now, that's one prophecy fulfilled. What about Jezebel? Well, it's interesting because Jezebel is back in Jezreel and she is thrown off the wall surrounding the city. And she lands on the ground, a huge fall. The Bible tells us that her blood spattered on the ground, that the horses were spooked and she was immediately trampled. And then after that happened, 2 Kings 9 tells us, but when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands, because the dogs had ravaged her, just eaten her to death, basically. And so this is God's holiness bringing his justice. And so God's justice does it mean that it's going to come on our timetable when we want it, but rest assured it's going to come. There's going to be a payday. Someday you can bet the world on it. I can promise you that because God will have the last word. Now, the great news of the gospel is this, that even in this story, the judgment of God is not the last word. What we see is a picture of God's mercy and love, we, we see the gospel of grace right in the middle of this. And so, and so like I mentioned, God's judgment doesn't come immediately. Uh, but as you read the story, there's an interesting twist in the story right at the end of the chapter. I don't know if you caught it, but you let me show it to you in verses 27, 28, and 29. This is really interesting. Now, when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted. So those, are, those are steps of repentance there. And he lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I'm not going to bring disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So this is, this is really interesting. So you're like, what in the world is going on? Is God letting him off here? It looks like Ahab is repenting of his sin. And it looks like God's kind of forgiving him of his sin. Well, let me just say this. I don't think this is real repentance. I think this is fake repentance. And the reason why is because if there was real repentance, there would be restitution to Naboth's family. and We have no record of that. I mean, he destroyed an entire family. And there's no steps to reconciliation, restitution. And so I don't think it's real repentance, but I do think it's the real mercy of God. I do think that. And uh, for whatever reason that's not known to us, but only known in the wisdom of God, and the secret things of God, God delays his judgment. He delays it. Now, it's important just to remember that just like in baseball, there's a big difference between a rain delay and a game cancellation. You guys follow me? And uh, judgment is not canceled here. It's just delayed a bit. And uh, so that God can reveal his mercy and his love. And I think the question for us this morning is this, what kind of God would show mercy to Ahab? Like, why would God do this? Why would he show mercy to Ahab? Well, I I think when you're thinking about the kind of God that would show mercy to Ahab, he's the kind of God that would show us mercy. He's the same one. And uh, we have to look at our own lives, don't we? You know, while we haven't sinned just like Ahab, we're guilty of the same sins, are we not? Greed and selfishness, worldliness and passivity, maybe not murder, but anger, maybe pouting, pouting against the providences of God. And so what we see is the merciful God that has been so gracious towards us is the same God that we see in this story. And the good news of the gospel is there's only one righteous and his name is Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is we've been made righteous by him and for him. And so the judgment that should have landed on us landed on Jesus. And we needed a substitute. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the righteousness that was required of us by God was provided to us by God through Jesus Christ. So we can't hide from God. He knows our thoughts and our words and deeds and our motives. But we can be hidden in Christ. And that is really good news. Really good news. When you think about it, really Naboth reminds us of Jesus, doesn't he? I mean, think about what happened to Jesus. I mean, think about the gospel story. I mean, Jesus, he had a vineyard too, didn't he? The Bible tells us his vineyard is Israel. And what happened to Jesus? He was falsely accused too. And they set up a sham mockery of a trial for him. And then they pronounced judgment on him. And you know what they did? They took him to the, to the outskirts of the city and they killed him. So what you have is you have Nabot pointing us to the cross of Christ, pointing us to the grace of God, reminding us that it's only in Christ that we are safe. It's only in Christ that we are really righteous. And it's only in Christ that we are loved. Praise be to God. So take heart today, church. There's injustice all around us. And we need to be people working and taking a stand for justice, but make no mistake about it, God's gonna have the last word and he's gonna bring justice throughout all the earth and we can take great hope in that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this may not be our favorite story in scripture. But Lord, the truth of it is tremendously encouraging. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world broken. We, we're surrounded by a culture and, and in, in some ways a, a government that is trying to squeeze us into its mold. We live in a world that's just so messed up. But I thank you that you gave You gave your son to fix it. And fix it, he has done. And so God, I thank you that although we're now in this, not yet, we know that one day all things are gonna be made new. That we're gonna live in a new heaven and new earth and justice will shine brighter than the sun. And so God, I just pray that we would be men and women and students who take a stand for injustice and who trust in the justice, the ultimate justice and mercy of God. And so we just thank you for all of this. Renew us in you, God. We confess we just often fall short we often miss the mark thank you that you give us grace thank you that you give us mercy thank you that you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us and so lord just fill us again with your spirit renew us in you and we thank you and praise you and all of god's people said amen amen